You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Former White House economic policy advisor Todd Buckholz goes on the record online. The government will report that GDP was, let's say, up 2% uh, in some particular quarter, and then nine months later it turns out, no, it wasn't up 2%, it was flat. Well, think about all the activity by the Federal Reserve Board and, and corporate uh, uh, corporate allocators of capital based on the first number, and then it turns out it was all wrong. Hey, thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online. I am uh, pleased to announce that On the Record Online for the third year is the official podcast of the Public Relations Society of America's International Conference. And this is a very special interview with Todd Buckholz, the former White House economic policy advisor, uh, who will be one of the keynote speakers at the conference. I had a chance to uh, talk to him about... Um, uh, um, using search to gauge sentiment. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, um, communicating with raw data. And uh, we also talked about uh, what the hot job is uh, for kids coming out of Ivy League school uh, today. All that and more after this. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom. Today, we're talking about one of our core offerings, the online press room. Using iPressroom's media platform content management system, non-technical communications pros can easily upload, manage, measure, and distribute their content in a full-featured, branded online pressroom. See pressroom.target.com for an example. The same is available on a smaller scale as well for nonprofits, smaller organizations, and mid-sized companies. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to email us questions to info at ipressroom.com or visit us on the web at www.ipressroom.com slash demo. Former White House economic policy advisor Todd Buckholz, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Todd, you're going to be keynoting the upcoming Public Relations Society of America's International Conference in San Diego, November 7 through 10, along with Arianna Huffington and Bob Garfield, host of NPR's On the Media. Can you give us a little advanced glimpse of what you plan to talk about? Well, let's face it, as an economist, there's no shortage of things to talk about. The headlines are screaming at us each day. Is the Great Recession over? Uh, is the Great Recession coming back? Uh, does the gov U.S. government have to provide another stimulus plan, or did we have too much stimulus, and should Congress bring it all bring it all back? Uh, you know, these are issues that are on the front pages, and anyone involved in the world of uh, public relations, or whether it's for-profit or non-profit, needs to have some kind of handle on what happens next, what's going to happen to the financial markets, and I hope to connect the dots among all those various and pressing issues. Now, you advised President Bush during a period of great global economic prosperity. Yes, I should, be, I should make clear I, I, I advised the senior President Bush. Uh, I was uh, uh, a director of economic policy for President George Herbert Walker Bush. 
for the son, I consulted now and then, although uh, I'm not sure he'd listen to much of what I had to say. So, in fact, in my years in the White House, we experienced some prosperity, and then, of course, we experienced uh, the exhilaration of winning the Gulf War and getting Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait, and then we fell into a deep recession. Actually, it turned out not to be so deep, but James Carville uh, and President Clinton's campaign did a masterly job of portraying uh, the 1991 uh, recession as being terribly deep. So I, I got to see both the good and the bad in the White House. Now, low interest rates offered by the federal bank as part of an economic policy propelled home values to new heights in this country, uh, which some now believe were artificial and which some believe led to the current economic downturn. Um, are low interest rates at least partially to blame for the global economic meltdown? Well, you always have to ask low interest rates compared to what? Uh, and, and the fact is that after 9-11, Alan Greenspan and the Federal Reserve Board were uh, extremely worried about uh, a recession uh, persisting. They pushed down interest rates. They kept those interest rates down for too long. Uh, and when you got to the point where the inflation rate started to rise above the interest rate, the Federal Reserve Board should have acted more decisively. At the same time, we live in this global economy where the Chinese were starting to buy our bonds. Now, this gets complicated, but if the Chinese develop an appetite for our bonds, that pushes down our interest rates no matter what the Federal Reserve Board does. So the combination of worldwide flows, globalization, and the Federal Reserve Board being too lenient, left interest rates too low, and then you combine that uh, with government policies uh, that um, incentivize Fannie Mae and others to uh, incentivize Fannie Mae to pressure banks to give loans to people who in prior decades would never have qualified for mortgages. So all of that was combustible, and it, of course, busted up the housing sector, and we're still trying to recover. Well, I mean, you know, from a, from a, a, a citizen's perspective, and I think, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say uh, the American people are still furious at the government for bailing out the banks, and the bankers for paying bonuses to those they see as responsible for losing their money. Um, so, I mean, beyond changing their names, what, if anything, can banks do to regain the public's trust? Well, I, I, I think banks uh, banks have to, first of all, demonstrate their commitment to communities. It's one thing to talk about these abstractions of these worldwide global banks, but it wasn't simply the Bank of America's and the city banks that got in trouble. Uh, it was smaller banks as well uh, that lost touch with the community. I spoke to the FDIC officials, banking regulators in Arizona, uh, and they told me that in 2005, the bankers reported that 200,000 people had moved into the state. It turned out only half as many had moved into the state. What happened? All those homes were being built on spec, and the bankers didn't even know it. So you've got a public relations problem and a business problem if you don't understand who you're lending money to and what risks you're taking, because ultimately the risks you take are funded or guaranteed or insured by the American taxpayer, and the American taxpayer is livid and has every right to be so. We're talking to former White House economic policy advisor Todd Buckholz, who's going to be keynoting the upcoming Public Relations Society of America's mm -hmm. International Conference in San Diego, November 7th through 10th, along with Arianna Huffington, Bob Garfield, a host of NPR's On the Media, uh, and others. Yeah. Um, you can get more information on the conference at prsa.org. 
Um, Todd, I was listening to the Harvard Business IdeaCast podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts, and I recently heard a professor talking about how outsourcing the manufacturing of consumer electronics to the developing world uh, was going to impact our ability to lead in the business of renewable electricity because most of the innovations in battery technology have come out of the developing nations as well. Um, is outsourcing a sustainable business strategy for our nation? Well, we had this outsourcing panic, and it looked like a panacea to businesses about you know five, six years ago. Uh, and you had a number of economists, including Alan Blinder, former vice chair of the Fed and, and advisor to President Clinton, uh, who had warned of the millions of American jobs that would be lost. And, and, and I think it is a, a very serious concern. But uh, it may have gone overboard in the sense that I speak to a lot of companies today that tried outsourcing to India and China and found that, in fact, the costs involved in monitoring, making sure the job got done right, uh, was was really awfully high. So, uh, sure, this wave of outsourcing is going to continue. The question is, is it a tidal wave that is going to swamp the U.S. economy, or is it, uh, you know, a more gentle rolling wave? Maybe it's somewhere in between. You know, I, I, I guess I, I've been around long enough to, to hear the American economy written off numerous times. Back in the 1990s, nobody thought the U.S. economy uh, and, and the, uh, com the computer sector within the U.S. could stand up to the Japanese. Well, what do you know? Uh, Intel uh, uh, is, um, and AMD are virtually the only companies in the world that make the real brains of a computer. And those are still American companies for the most part. So, you know, we've heard this, we've heard this before. The question is, what I'm more worried about, frankly, is the education system. I'm not worried so much about world trade taking jobs away. I'm worried about Americans being qualified to justify getting the work. And that's where I think we've got a huge mountain to climb. And I'm not, frankly, seeing a whole lot of momentum behind that climb. Any ideas or, or sort of thought leaders in that area that, you, that you're keen on? Well, um... I, I, I wouldn't mention I wouldn't mention names in this podcast. I'd written a book a few years ago called "Bringing the Jobs Home," which focused on outsourcing, and I had a chapter on education. and And there are a number of uh, citations in that that I would send uh, listeners to. Maybe we could have a link to some of those in the show notes, uh, I, if you'd like. Todd, um, I have to ask because you know I, I was researching for this podcast and I saw your uh, bio online and your photo as well. And quite frankly, you don't look old enough to have been an advisor for uh, George Bush Senior. Can I ask how old you are? Oh no, you can, you can ask. I don't. I don't. I don't answer that. But uh, I'll tell you, it's clean living. And and I was a young man when I was there. I was very fortunate. Uh, you know, as was someone like George Stephanopoulos in the Clinton administration. Uh, to to get a um, you know an enviable post uh, at a tender age and uh, it's been clean clean living since then so thanks for the compliments on the photo got it hey seeing as how there's so much data out there now there's so much information available to us on the internet and it's all accessible um, how can consumers manage and digest and wade through this overwhelming archive of data to make better business and financial decisions. Well, it is difficult. It is, uh, to, to mix metaphors, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, so much of what we see is, is trash, and, and so much of it, in turn, it turns out is very valuable. And, uh, again, to mix metaphors is like, uh, you know, drinking from a fire hydrant. 
Uh, that's why, you know, just going back to education for a second, I'm often asked, what, you know, what kind of uh, work should my kid study for? You know, what kind of job should my teenager get when he or she graduates from high school or college? And what courses should they take? And to me, the answer is, I, I don't know what job is going to be available in 10 or 20 years, but they need critical thinking skills. They need the ability to understand statistics, uh, to dis discern between a lousy argument and an argument that might hold water, because, boy, reading the Internet, uh, you can come across a lot of stuff that doesn't simply hold water, but it has the makings of a Titanic in terms of sinking your business and sinking your ability to make sense. It's interesting you would say that. There was actually recently a story that ran on the cover of the New York Times. I'll include a link in the show notes um, that said basically the hot job for kids coming out of the Ivy Leagues today is statistician because so many organizations are just sitting on pounds and piles and piles of data that they need to try to extract meaningful, actionable uh, intelligence from. And yes, and that's very interesting. I, I saw today a headline. I didn't have time to read the story, uh, but uh, you recall Netflix had put up a million-dollar prize for anyone who could come up with a better algorithm for gauging what sort of movies their consumers would want next. And apparently, uh, you know, there are many, many submissions for that prize, and it seems as if they may have actually uh, awarded it. Uh, yes, I think statistics is enormously important. Uh, at the same time, we know statistically, statistics can be used to deceive and to fool people. And having served in government, you know, I, I, saw, I saw that time and again, and I think we still see it today. Well, you know, that's, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a nice segue for the next question, what I wanted to cover. Um, and and I, I apologize uh, if, I, if I hack your name, but there is a journalist who wrote an article in the New York Times on September 13, and, and I believe his name is Anand Jirahadaris. And the um, headline of the story, it was an opinion piece in Week in Review, and it was Athens on the Net. And I want to read an excerpt from it and then ask you a question. Okay. And the excerpt is this. Uh, the headlines from Washington today, Blair of Bailouts, Stimulus, Clunkers, AFPAC, Healthcare. But it is possible that future historians looking back will fixate on a quieter project of Barack Obama's White House, its exploration of how government might be opened to greater public participation in the digital age or how to make self-government more than a metaphor. And this story goes in to talk about the new IT dashboard, which the uh, administration has set up, which basically lets you look at um, the um, ability of different agencies to hit their deadlines and come in on budget for different policy initiatives. And, uh, and it also suggests the notion that government would someday, someday be a platform the idea that uh, government would basically distribute raw data for people to interpret and then massage and visualize. And I wonder if the prospect of communicating through raw data is realistic. I mean, can, can organizations somehow better communicate their propositions uh, with raw numbers instead of language, which gives them the ability to you know, rationalize and interpret the impact of numbers? Well, it's, it's a good question. Of course, you know, numbers can be massaged, too. Uh, and you know the the definitions of uh, of those numbers uh, can be can be changed and modified. So you know I, I do think it's uh, it, it's a role of the government certainly to disclose data on its programs. And and sadly, one of the 
areas that's frequently cut when budgets need to be trimmed in Washington is the statistics gathering. I mean, that's really been the, the, the story over the last 20 or 30 years. Nearly every chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors has pushed his president, whether a Democratic or, Repo- or Republican, uh, to devote more money to upgrade statistics because it, when you see in the economic data the tremendous revisions, well, for, you know, the, the government will report that GDP was, let's say, up 2% uh, in some particular quarter, and then nine months later it turns out, no, it wasn't up 2%, it was flat. Well, think about all the activity by the Federal Reserve Board and, and corporate uh, uh, corporate allocators of capital based on the first number, and then it turns out it was all wrong, and, and we have very crude measures. So uh, I, I take the point that it would be good to upgrade statistics, to provide more statistics, but <laughs> so far I haven't really seen that done in a, in a serious way. And I, uh, you know, in terms of the Obama administration, from what I can gather, their disclosures on stimulus spending uh, seem to be lagging what they committed to in terms of disclosure, not to mention the fact the monies themselves are flowing much more slowly than expected. Final question, Todd, and this again from Anand's uh, recent New York Times article, and I'm going to read a quote here. If the Internet needed a further nudge from its pedestal, the healthcare debate obliged. From the administration's point of view, the web arguably proved better at spreading deceptions about death panels than at spreading truth and at turning town halls into brawls than at nurturing the unfettered deliberation that some imagine to be the hallmark of the Internet. Uh, That's the uh, end of the quote. Uh, In your opinion, when we look back 20 years from now, what will we see as the real impact of the Internet on policy? At the end of the day, will will, will it have been positive or negative? Well, it'll be it'll be tough to to net that out. On uh, on balance, I'd say it would be positive, because you this is a bit of the the wisdom of crowds idea. You have brilliant people throughout the world now, with access to information, who are trying to you know, crunch numbers, get to the bottom of assertions, and so on. And that really was almost impossible 10 or 20 or 30 years uh, ago. The lags of information to bet you'd have to file, you know, disclosure uh, uh, petitions under the Freedom of Information Act, you know, uh, years later it would flow through. Now you get some pretty darn good analysis pretty darn quickly. Now, yes, can it be swamped by... Uh, by rhetoric, whether whether from the left or the right, that is not interested in truth finding, but just interested in you know bashing reputations. Yes, that's true. But I think over time we will begin to see which websites and which voices are worth listening to, uh, and which websites and voices uh, you know have poor track records. There's no reason why uh, there shouldn't be a market now for companies or individuals to rate websites for their accuracy and try to discern which ones are worth listening to and which ones are worth surfing past uh, as you would a rogue wave you wouldn't want to get on top of. Uh, I'll just slide in one last question here. Any, uh, any investing advice you can give us? You know, when J.P. Morgan was asked what the market was going to do, uh, he answered with, with great assurance. He said, uh, it'll fluctuate. Uh, <laughs> so I think with... Um, you know, with our meeting uh, several weeks out, more than several weeks out, I think it would be uh, a little foolish to provide investing advice uh, at this point on the podcast. 
Uh, nonetheless, the U.S. economy at this point is recovering, uh, and that's beginning to be priced into the market. And so we'll see what happens between now and November. That's a good note for communicators. On-demand media is not a great channel for breaking news and information. Uh, we've been talking to former White House economic policy advisor Todd Buckholz, who's going to be keynoting the upcoming Public Relations Society of America's International Conference in San Diego, November 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. Uh, he keynotes along with Ariana Huffington and uh, Bob Garfield, who's host of NPR's On the Media, and who um, wrote a new book called The uh, Chaos um, Scenario, which is online at thechaosscenario.net. Um, Todd, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Eric. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.